Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Kevin Hart here. This basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back on everything, even the sound system that auto-tunes the game. Curry from way downtown. Defense. Will the owner of a red sedan please visit guest services? Bet you've never heard cash back and sound like that. Cash back like a pro with Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. The Volume. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. This is Monday, right? Happy Monday, everyone. The days are running together, as is always the case during the NBA playoffs. Yet another massive blowout. Uh, We're not going to get too far into the X's and O's of this game because it just doesn't warrant that. But later, we're going to spend a good portion of tonight's show 
talking about Golden State Dallas last night, really getting into the weeds. Um, as you guys know, I didn't really have an opportunity to get into my normal um, breakdown last night because I went on with Colin Cowherd. Uh, funny story, actually, that I, I, I wanted to tell you guys. I was managing a sales team at Verizon Wireless back in, gosh, it was 2015 in the fall, so seven years ago. And I, I was good at it, but I hated it. Like I was just, I was just miserable, you know, and I used to drive down this long road to get to where I was going. I had about a 45 minute commute every day. I was working six days a week. I was working crazy hours and in the car, I used to listen to Colin Coward every single day on my way to work, just like many of you did growing up, obviously uh, kind of a staple in the industry. And, uh, you know, one day as I was driving, I was listening to Colin introduce Nick Wright, who many of you guys also listen to, big basketball guy, uh, <laughs> definitely has takes that are interesting, you know? And uh, I, I sat there and I was like, man, like, I really want to do this. And on that day, I, I went in and I called my district manager and I asked to go back to being a, a sales rep and to go back to part-time. And I told my wife, that I wanted to do this. And a lot has changed and a lot has happened over the course of the next seven years. It definitely wasn't a straight line path. I took a detour to try to play professional basketball for a while too. Like it was very complicated. Um, but it was an absolutely surreal moment last night to get to be on his show. And, you know, I, I obviously had ambitions of, of getting into this industry, but to, for my first opportunity to get to work for this company and to work for Colin and for all of you guys listening, like he's he's just as great of a person as you would expect. And the way he's treated me, the way his company has treated me has been incredible and I'm loving every minute of it. And obviously it's just a little non-basketball kind of detour, but I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a peek into uh, a very brief uh, window into how I made the decision to try to get into this industry and and how I started down this path. And it was, it was kind of a cool moment last night. And obviously I hope to be there several times in the future. If you guys haven't seen that, uh, go to the Volumes YouTube channel and scroll down. Uh, we talked a good almost half hour, Colin and I, about a lot of stuff, including the Golden State Warriors and the Celtics and a bunch of good stuff. But uh, really quickly before we get started, make sure you like this video and subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel um, so that you don't miss any more of our videos. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys can see all the video content that I release and breakdowns and things along those uh, things along those lines. And if for whatever reason you can't catch one of these shows and you're you know too busy to sit on YouTube for a little while, uh, check out our podcast feed. Uh, it's under Lakers Tonight right now, but uh, it, you know obviously we call ourselves Hoops Tonight, but that's where you'll find that feed on the on the podcast front. Uh, but let's get started. So with Boston. You know, it, they, they've been the most frustrating team that I can see in this field in terms of their inconsistent effort. Frustrating for betting purposes. I've <laughs> made money and lost money on them and, and on so many different occasions in this playoff run. It's funny. I, I bet an alternate spread tonight. I got them at minus, two, minus 12 and a half at plus 200 on FanDuel. And it was, I, felt, I felt like that was a comfortable number. I had a feeling they'd win by 20 or 30. But I thought that that was a comfortable number that they'd be able to cover that gave some good odds. And, you know, with their inconsistent effort, obviously they burned me in game three. But here in game four, it was absolutely predictable. And a slam dunk home run to think that Ime Udoka would rip these guys a new one. And they'd come out and they'd play with force on both ends of the floor. And when they play with force on both ends of the floor... 
they are so much more talented on both ends of the floor that even a team that's as good as Miami and remind you like reminder this is this is Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler like, these are all-star caliber players are these superstars no these are two all-stars and a bunch of really solid role players all of which can shoot most of which at least compete on the defensive end and they are completely outclassed by this Boston team when they're playing with force. And you know what's so interesting is playing with force goes on both ends of the floor. On the defensive end, like we saw we saw Boston completely mail in the defensive end of the floor in game three. It was absolutely embarrassing. It was the low point of this playoff run for them because even with their inconsistent effort on, uh, on offense that has taken place throughout this playoff run, it seemed mostly associated with decision-making. And for the most part, their defense has been really, really good until they got into this series. I think... I think it's a combination of a couple of different things. I think this is this is an issue for them. I don't think they respect the Miami Heat. I don't think they, you know, I think that I think Boston had the appropriate fear of Milwaukee and of Brooklyn, and I think as a result they approached the game seriously on the defensive end in both of those series. Obviously, they did a great job against Brooklyn. They held Milwaukee to 82 points per 100 possessions in half-court sets, which is just a ridiculous defensive marker for an all-time great player like Giannis and Drew Holiday and all the shooting that Milwaukee had, right? But for whatever reason, that same defensive intensity just didn't translate over into this series in a consistent basis. They've held massive leads in all of the games except for one. They were up 13 in game one. They had 30-plus point leads in both game two and game four. They were within one late in game three. I told you guys Boston was good enough to sweep this series. They just have had inconsistent effort. You know, and, and again, on offense with force, it's about getting into the paint. And a lot of people don't understand this. Like when it comes to driving to the basket, when you go play pickup at a men's league or in your YMCA or a, you know, an LA fitness or something, you know, beating people to the basket is not exactly overly complicated. No one's really playing all that hard. No one's in great shape. When you're playing a really good athlete on the defensive end, you're, you're never going to get like a clear straight line drive. More than often, you're just trying to get an inch of leverage, just a tiny bit of space, and then you're trying to shoot that gap. You're almost trying to go through their shoulder. It's a physicality game. Like Driving to the basket requires a great deal of physicality. And so when Boston comes out without force, and they aren't deliberately trying to plow through those tiny gaps in the defense to get into the paint so that they can get their drive and kick game going, and then on the defensive end when they're not playing with force, they're unrecognizable. And what's particularly dangerous with that is this is a we're entering into a phase of the playoffs. I mean, we've already been there, but we're entering into a phase of the playoffs where the margin for error is extraordinarily small. Like, let's just look back at last year's NBA Finals. We're talking about, you know, one insane Giannis defensive play where he plays in drop coverage and dissuades Devin Booker from taking a pull-up forces him to throw a lob, and then turns around and makes an absurd defensive play at the rim on DeAndre Ayton. And then, you know, tur- and then that other game where uh, uh, Devin Booker drove into the lane, picked up his dribble on P.J. Tucker, and Drew Holiday comes in and takes the ball away, and we get the run-out alley-oop for Giannis. That's two plays that swung a playoff series. I go back two rounds prior. I'm looking at Kevin Durant taking a spinning fadeaway from the three-point line where his toes are on the line 
And if they're two inches further back, Brooklyn advances. And that's just two series from a very recent playoff run. I could take a half hour here for you guys and lay out time and time again where these things end up getting determined by the slightest of margins and the slightest of factors. You And again, some of this is a lack of respect for Miami, a lack of that fear. But look at how even against a team that is so inferior from a talent perspective, like Miami, how they're 2-2. This series is tied. <laughs> like, how wild is that? This year... Boston has utterly and completely dominated Miami in this series is tied because of the fact that they've let go of the rope a handful of times in the third quarter of game one and to start game three, and it cost them what should have been a sweep. Here's the problem. Golden State's most likely going to advance. They're up 3-0. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about them here in a little bit. Golden State's not going to mail it in. Golden State is not going to make those mistakes. You know why? Because they know what it's like to... Steph has lost an NBA championship in a game where in the fourth quarter, he threw a wild behind-the-back pass out of bounds to to a wide-open Clay Thompson in the corner. Like, sloppy. He lost a game on little mistakes like that. There's scar tissue that forms there. You, the pain of loss builds an understanding of how easily, how easy it is to lose. And then you take, you take an extra attention to detail to make sure that that doesn't happen again. That scar tissue that Golden State has is such a huge advantage for them going into this finals. Boston has not learned. Like, I, I probably won't even bet on them in game five because who the hell knows what they're going to do. Every time they every time they come out and show, because in terms of their two-way talent, they're better than everybody. In, in, in two-way talent. I think Golden State has more offensive talent, but they rely on some guys that are competing defensively without the appropriate physical tools. Boston has guys that are uh, amazing physical specimens playing defense at an extremely high level, and they have a lot of offensive talent. But I would, right now, pick Golden State to beat them. They have, a, uh, they have the appropriate understanding of what is going to happen in the next round. You know, there's a... You remember in 2015 when the Warriors came into the NBA Finals and they ran into LeBron. And LeBron, you know, the Cavs aren't a dynasty, but LeBron in and of himself was a dynasty at that point. LeBron understood what that stage was he understood everything that it entailed. And Steph and Clay were they're new. They were new to the environment. Draymond was new to the environment. And they kind of eased their way into that series. And LeBron attacked it and took a 2-1 lead. And had Steph not gone wild in game five in the fourth quarter while LeBron was having a monster game, then maybe they go down 3-2. Maybe the Cavs close him out at home. That was another slim margin. The point is, is like that's a huge advantage for Golden State going into that next round. Regardless of how you feel, Golden State fans probably feel like you're better, and you might be. In terms of talent, it's very close between Boston and Golden State. I give Boston a slight edge in overall talent both ways. But I want to pick Golden State because I, I know that they understand what it takes. 
And right now with Boston, they have proven time and time again that even though they understand the job, even though they know what they have to do to win, too often they check into the game and they don't do it. And maybe it's because they haven't experienced enough loss. Maybe it's because they haven't experienced enough pain. Who knows? Maybe I'll be wrong. I'll be, I'll be interested to see. We're going to bring my guy Car- uh, Carson on. We're going to dive into a whole bunch of additional stuff. It is good to see your face again, Carson. Oh, Jason, same to you, of course. <laughs> All right, so we've got five big questions here for the Western Conference Finals, and we're going to start with this one. It's pretty straightforward. Obviously, you picked the Mavs ahead of this series. They are now sitting down 3-0. It seems that all hope is nearly lost given the historical precedent in the NBA. So, Jason, how would you say that Dallas lost this series? So, obviously, I was wrong about this series. I've had Golden State fans nonstop in my mentions talking reckless, sending me DMs and things like that, <laughs> even though I clearly stated at the beginning that uh, that I wasn't confident in this series at all. Like, I didn't have a good feel for this series at all. I was just basically taking a shot in the dark. And, like, I, I felt very confident in Boston because there was some clear basketball things I could follow to that conclusion. I just clearly didn't appropriately factor in their inexperience and their, you know, undisciplined nature in terms of their night to night approach. Um, but it is, so let's talk the basketball because forget it, regardless of what you think, I was wrong. I picked Dallas to win the series in six and they're probably going to get swept maybe in five. So where I think this series went wrong for Dallas is a super interesting dynamic that I've seen a handful of times in NBA history. It's actually happened to Steph and Clay. It's actually a great example of what I was just talking about. You know, Dallas got really good shots through three games. They actually won the shot quality score in game one and two, which again, can't take that to the bank. It's not worth anything. It's not worth points on the scoreboard. But what it is, is it's just an indicator of your process. You know, Dallas, we knew coming into this series that Dallas was going to pick on mismatches and space the floor. And they were going to get either wide open threes or great matchups for their players to try to score. Golden State clearly went with the strategy of attempting to um, of uh, attempting to send multiple defenders to the isolation guys, and they were willing to give up the threes. And pretty consistently throughout the series, Dallas just hasn't been able to knock them down. After for two rounds, they did knock them down. And what was strangely appalling to me, especially in game three, the only guys on the roster that were rising up into shots with confidence, and you can tell, you could tell by how close the shots are. You could tell by the way they elevate. You could tell by the follow-through. You can tell by their body language. The only two guys that were rise- rising up confidently was Luka Doncic and Spencer Dinwiddie. Everyone else was terrified. And it reminded me, once again, of the effect that LeBron had on the Warriors in 2015. And the effect that the Celtics had on LeBron in the late 2010s. You know, this is a, a persistent pathway. The, the comfort of having been there many times and understanding everything and having established success versus being the new guy on the stage. And just like LeBron and like a 60-win Cavs team lost to an inferior, less talented Boston Celtics team in 2010, and LeBron wasn't great either. LeBron deserves a ton of criticism for that series. But his role players all fell apart too. And a big part of that was there's an aura that comes with the defending champion, someone that's been there time and time again, that's loaded with veteran players. They bring a, they bring like a psychological impact to the arena because you know they're comfortable. 
and you know they're confident. And it can get in your head if you haven't been there before. And if you haven't you know, been on that stage and you're not comfortable there. And so again, that happened. I thought LeBron had that same psychological impact on Dallas or on Golden State in 2015 in that series. I thought that was the only reason it dragged out as long as it did. And I thought a huge part of this was the gold, the, the Golden State dynasty and the aura that it's that surrounds it and the psychological impact that had on wide open shooters to t- be terrified. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit of trash talk from Golden State in there. Draymond telling guys, like, you're scared to shoot. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a bunch of that stuff going on. That is all the psychological impact of being a champion. And then the second biggest thing and the, 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 where this series went off the rails, we talked a lot about how Dallas doesn't have a great defensive personnel. We don't have to get into it again. Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock are really the only two guys that are high-end defensive players in terms of their athleticism and build. Everyone else was just competing, which is great but there's a physical limitation there. They played two very traditional basketball teams in the first two rounds, the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. High pick and roll, traditional spacing, not great personnel, right? In terms of dribble creation, you know, the the Jazz lacked the, the guys that could consistently get into the paint outside of Donovan Mitchell, right? And then we go to Phoenix and with Chris Paul losing his aggression, and Devin Booker happening to get cold as a jump shooter, all of a sudden their offensive talent went down off a cliff. You know, I blame that on Chris Paul's injury. But as a result, they were able to set themselves up in pretty traditional defensive coverages and nail those things down. We did a whole thing about this when they won game seven. Like Dallas wasn't doing anything spectacular on defense. They were just always in the right spots. They were very disciplined and they did the right thing. And they were able to shut down a good offense. Here's the problem. Golden State was the first team that Dallas played in this playoff run that truly spaced them out, that truly made them cover a ton of ground on the perimeter. It almost immediately, they got exposed as a team that had limited defensive personnel, particularly Luka, who we're going to get into in a little bit. But they had, they, they had no ability to guard, and their one opportunity to, tr- to win a game in this series, which was game two, and they had a huge lead, they came out in the second half and gave up 68 points. And if you watch the tape, their point of attack defense was awful. Their defensive rotations were awful. They were exposed as a team that could defend when everything was in structure. But as soon as they approached, faced a team that took them out of structure and put them in a spaced out dribble drive attack environment, they couldn't contain anybody. So they completely fell apart on defense. And then I thought psychologically they crumbled under the weight of Golden State as open three-point shooters. Next thing you know, you got to sweep. And again, Golden State is... Golden State is on the verge of sweeping a team that had the second best record in basketball since January 1st. They're on the verge of sweeping a team that just literally won th- uh, four of the last five games of the series against the team that dominated the NBA regular season this year. This was a very good Dallas Mavericks team that Golden State dismantled, and I think those are the reasons why. I think the psychological point is a really interesting one and one that you don't often hear people make. But when you talk about sort of the basketball happenings, it feels to me like a theme of what you're touching on with a lot of this is versatility to an extent. When you talk about Dallas not being able to guard in specific matchups, and obviously they're really limited in some ways by the fact they don't have that true five when you're always playing small ball with Powell or Kleba in that spot. They don't have the same depth of shot creation. and when you talk about a shot making lapse like they've had in the series where they're sub 33% from deep, they're creating those good looks from three, but they don't really have counters if those shots aren't falling because they don't have those guys who can attack off the bounce and get their own shots and facilitate. 
Whereas the Warriors, it seems like they have a plethora of options on any given night. They do have more of that versatility in terms of lineups and personnel. So, I mean, how much of a deciding factor is just that in the series? That maybe the Warriors, you know, aren't necessarily the better team point blank, but they're the more versatile team. Do you feel like that was a, a big factor? Absolutely. I mean, the, this Warriors team has been damn good this year with Steph Curry being kind of a shell of himself in terms of his efficiency on his pull-up three-point shooting and all the and all of those little elements of his game. You know, when Dallas's wide-open three-point shots started missing, they didn't have another angle. And part of this is like Dinwiddie and Brunson and some of their limitations. Like, so one of the, I thought one of the the biggest problems in this series was the lack of comfort that Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie have as pull-up jump shooters. They both can. And when they have it going, they'll hunt that shot and they'll knock it down when they have it going. But you could tell both of them, for the most part in this series, Golden State was playing off of them and playing the drive and trying to bait them into pull-up jump shots. And they, you could tell they just didn't want to take them, whereas Luka absolutely mm -hmm. does. And so some of it is like, some of it is like, for instance, it's because... This model that Dallas built, I think, is super interesting and something that more teams should try to replicate, which is you can maximize your talent on your roster by organizing yourself in a way that succeeds in the playoff environment. So, for instance, like Dallas, like Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson are not all-stars, but you know what they are? They're guys that have one great skill, which is the ability to create their own shot, right? They, can, they feel comfortable attacking mismatches. So if you put them in a system where you space the floor with a ton of shooting, which again, Dallas has shot like absolute crap in this series, but they shot amazingly well through two rounds and that's been the, the lion's share of the way this team was constructed. Everyone around them can shoot. Even the two guys that didn't shoot well or that can't shoot that we know can't shoot like Frank Nilakina and Josh Green, they're only playing because Tim Hardaway Jr. is hurt. Like those minutes, minutes are all going to Tim Hardaway Jr. in the future, right? So like they space the floor and they pick on mismatches. That's proven to work. So there, there's, a, there's some good stuff there. The difference is, is like when you go back to previous iterations of this team and where it failed, it came down to shot creation talent. Last year, the LA Clippers. Paul George was amazing, but it just wasn't enough without Kawhi for that whole thing to be enough to get to the finals, right? Go back two years before that, or three years before that, to the Rockets in 2018. James Harden is not Luka Doncic. He doesn't have versatility to the way he attacks. So Golden State solved him. He was forced to just basically take step back threes towards the end of that series. And I think he went like two for 13 in game seven. So like uh, there was, a, and then Chris, and then Chris Paul was out, right? But there's, a, in theory, there's a version of this Dallas construct where you actually get two really good shot creators, you know, basically a healthy Chris Paul and a, and a Luca type of archetype, right? Or even just an, this, this Luca, just bring in another star of some kind. There's a version of this dynamic that can work, I think. It's just the three, the three previous times that we've tried this, it's been inferior secondary creators next to Luca. It's been an injury to Chris Paul. It's been an injury to Kawhi Leonard that ended up derailing it. So as you touch on just the structure and the identities of these teams, feels like a good opportunity to get to another key factor in this series, and that is coaching. And specifically, it feels like Steve Kerr has kind of had a chance to shine in this series. So just what have you thought about how he's performed throughout the series and how important has that been to the Warriors being where they are right now? So I, I think Steve Kerr and Eric Spolstra 
have both clearly demonstrated that they are on a tier by themselves above all the other coaches that we've seen in this playoff run. You know, I'm going to focus on Steve Kerr because for unfortunately for Eric Spolstra, he just doesn't have enough talent for it to really matter. But both Spolstra and Kerr have put on a clinic in this playoff run of mixing up coverages. And I thought this move from Golden State was a huge part of why Dallas never got comfortable. When you see the same look every single time, you get accustomed to how to attack it. I think this is one of the, you know, this is this is one of those things that you'll see sometimes when you're watching LeBron when he's really in a flow. He'll work his way down the floor every time and just do the exact same thing and just start picking you apart because he's just he's trying to bait you into one thing or another. He's so familiar with your look that he's just one step ahead of you all the time. One of the easiest ways to counter that is to make it so that you're never facing the same look more than a handful of times in a row. The Steve Kerr, not just mixing in zone, but mixing in different kinds of zone. Like imagine you're in man to, you're going against a man-to-man coverage and Luca breaks you down, gets in the lane, makes a tough floater, comes down the next time they help out of the corner. He kicks to Maxi Kleby, makes a three, you've scored two times in a row. You got and then you come down and it's a two-three zone, and you're like, uh, okay, well, what are we get? Okay, everyone get to your right spots. Okay, by the time we've identified it's a two-three zone and got to our spacing, it's already 12 seconds on the shot clock. Now we're throwing two or three swing passes and jacking up a three, right? Like it's just it it it, it changes the way you have to attack on a possession by possession basis. And then it's like, okay, we go against the zone twice. We got a two decent three-point looks. Luca's doing it by screening the top man of the zone and getting to the elbow and making kickouts. Oh, wait, now it's a box in one. So even if you screen the guy that's guarding Luca, the other guy in the zone's right there. So it's like, what do you do? Like it the 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 way that Steve Kerr consistently mixed up coverages in this series to constantly keep Dallas off balance, that is all also part of how a team that's how guys are not confident when they're pulling up for shots. That's how guys get out of a rhythm and flow. That's how you get players to play beneath their personal ceiling is by keeping them off balance and keeping them uncomfortable. And I think, you know, again, it's you it's hard to factor in in a lot of cases because there aren't enough coaches like this that are this good. But I I think I think Eric Spolstra and Steve Kerr, both of them have just been putting on clinics in terms of defensive scheming and keeping teams off balance. But with Steve Kerr in this case, I think he took a series that I thought was a coin flip. And again, there's a lot of elements to this, but one of the big elements was Steve Kerr and him doing that is a huge part of why the series is going to be over fast. Do you think Kerr might be the most underappreciated coach ever, dare I say? <laughs> that's super interesting because the amount of talent i mean look all, when you when we look at all these coaches through nba history it's easy to underappreciate them when we factor in the talent right like greg popovich it's like oh you had tim duncan tony parker Manu ginobili you had Kawhi leonard you had david robinson all this kind of stuff right you go to steve kerr and all the talent he's played with we go to phil jackson and all the, the talent he's coached all the talent that pat riley has coached and it's easy to get dissuaded by the talent but you know, for me personally, I feel like he's underappreciated, but a huge part of that is I follow a lot of Warriors fans, and Warriors fans complain about Steve Kerr nonstop. Now, the people that I mm-hmm. trust that cover the Warriors, the people that really cover them from an unbiased perspective, will tell you that Steve Kerr has evolved a lot. 
So there was some stubbornness in the past that he's gone past that he's gotten past. Mm -hmm. particularly with lineup structure and being more willing to embrace offensive creation over defensive talent. You know, Steve Kerr, their rotations have been the biggest thing that, that, uh, that Golden State Warriors fans have complained about with Kerr over the years, but he has gotten better. And most importantly, like we, the, it's an interesting mix of a, a really smart basketball coach and guys that are willing to buy in. Because, like, I, you know, we're looking at a, a Lakers head coaching situation here where they're choosing between Terry Stotts and Darvin Ham and, uh, and Kenny Atkinson. And, like, I, I like Kenny Atkinson a lot in terms of, like, his offensive organization and his ability to, to coach a team on offense. But, like, I just think mm-hmm. LeBron and AD are going to roll their eyes at that guy. So, like, for a guy like, for guys like LeBron and AD, I think they need someone like Darvin Ham who's more of like a, Former player, recently in the league, tough guy. So at least they can convince him to play hard on defense, right? But like, what helps so much is you've got Steve Kerr, or excuse me, Steve uh, Stephen Curry, who's arguably the most coachable star that we have in mm-hmm. this league. Draymond Green, very coachable. They're all so bought in, and they have such a respect yeah. for Kerr that it gives him an opportunity to actually weaponize what he's good at, which is the X's and O's. And there are so many teams around the league that don't even have that opportunity because of egos. You know, like I, I like literally mm-hmm. LeBron tuned out Frank Vogel and he's a championship winning coach. LeBron tuned out David Blatt and he uh, obviously David Blatt came over. There's a lot of stuff with David Blatt, but LeBron tuned him out too. And it's just one of those things mm-hmm. where like, I think it's an interesting mix of super coachable superstar and really smart coach and the, their ability to lean on each other and the way that that can lead to success. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Warm weather brings many outdoor activities. Happy hours after work, weekend hikes, pool parties, and family barbecues. With all that time spent in the sun, we're often not thinking about what it's doing to our hair. Those rays can seriously affect your scalp and hair, making right now the perfect time to start taking Nutrafol to help keep your hair healthy this summer. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair with less shedding. Thinning hair is different for men and women, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth doesn't cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your biology, life stage, and lifestyle factors. Physician-formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole-body health. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Get results you can run your fingers through. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code Hoops, that's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Hoops, that's H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code Hoops. 
Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Something I've always been a big believer in. When you try to take projects on yourself, you usually don't know what you're doing. You usually end up making mistakes, and it can be a big headache. And so not only can a professional from Angie get the job done more efficiently, but they also are people that you can support within your community as local businesses. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Consider Angie your hub for all your home improvement needs. They can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that will tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. And the app is free and easy to use. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Yeah, I think that from my perspective, Kerr does feel underappreciated. And you make a good point about the coachability with Steph. I do wonder, though, further down, obviously, Steph's so important to establishing a culture, but how would Draymond respond to a coach that he thinks is kind of a dunce? Yeah, I don't know that he would be as <laughs> fully committed and trusting. And, you know, there might be some issues there. I can imagine that. But I think Kerr really does blend that schematic intelligence on both ends, right? You talked about the defensive ingenuity in this series. But I think broadly, you know, people would point to just the sort of motion offense the Warriors have often run and emphasizing off-ball movement and empowering Steph, putting him off-ball more instead of having him be like the – volume pick and roll guy that he was with Mark Jackson. He's just done so many things in terms of basketball schematics. He has, I think, been a really impressive leader of men and communicator. And there really isn't a flaw on his resume. I mean, they had a down year when everybody on the team was hurt. Other than that, they've won at the highest level. Last year, they were still a playoff caliber team, obviously, with such a decimated roster. So he doesn't have the decades of winning that, you know, like, most top five coaches of all time or what have you do, but his winning in the time that he has been there and everything he's done has been so immensely impressive. And I just feel like people are so quick to say, oh, well, the dynasty was inevitable. The talent was so overwhelming, but you know, they took a jump from a 51 win team to a 67 win team and then a 73 win team. And they did all that without obviously adding Kevin Durant. I think Steve Kerr is a huge part of that. So I think my answer to the question that I posed might very well be yes. I think Kerr is a brilliant, brilliant coach, and sometimes people are a bit quick to forget that. The managing of personalities is something people constantly gloss over. Like when you look at, mm -hmm. you know, having to bench David Lee, it was very successful mm -hmm. offensive forward to bring in a guy like Draymond Green, empowering Draymond Green to be what he is, which is a volatile basketball player. But understanding mm -hmm. that that volatility is a part of what makes him great and understanding that if you take that away from him, you take away part of his greatness. The whole KD saga and all the drama there and the blow up with Draymond, the navigating of the egos with Andre Iguodala and, and helping, you know, partnering with him to come off the bench to empower Harrison Barnes and, mm -hmm. you know, working with the, the ascent of Jordan Poole and navigating that with a backcourt that's loaded and easing him into a bench role in a playoff run. 
but because your star is willing to do so like it's it's never as easy as it looks and the personalities are always so much more complicated than you think you know i i played on a team when i was at arizona christian university that was unbelievably stacked with talent beat a division 1 school it was an nia school but we beat a division 1 school while i was there we started 13 and 0 we were top 5 in the nation we were one of the best teams in all of naia basketball and like we had 11 dudes that all deserved to play. And and the Golden State has that same issue. Juan Descano Anderson is a rotation-level NBA player. Damian Lee is a rotation-level NBA player. These are all guys that deserve to play. Gary Payton Jr., when he comes back into this mix, these are all Mm -hmm. very good basketball players that deserve to play, and he's navigating that. He has them all bought in. It's always so much more complicated than people think. That team that I referenced, you know, we we didn't have any major catastrophes, but there was it was a weird culture throughout the whole year because uh, guess what? The guys in that 11 that didn't get to play, they had issues. You know, they had issues with the whole dynamic, they had issues with the coaching staff, and it's just it's so much more complicated than people think and and when you see when from the outside it looks smooth, that's that's the indicator that they're handling things well in-house. Whereas you look at you look at some of these other teams like the Lakers and you're having, you know, Russell Westbrook go into the press conference talking about how he deserves to start. He deserves to close games. Like it's, it's, it's interesting to see the juxtaposition there. Absolutely. Let's pivot here to the Mavs because it does feel like they're sort of entering. How do we improve going forward mode? Obviously surely still committed to the series, but like they're kind of, knocking on death's door at this point and luca came out and had a quote after game three just talking about how he said something along the lines of i'm 23 i'm still learning you know there's a lot of stuff that i'm still figuring out and need to get better at so as remarkable as he has been throughout a majority of this postseason run where does he need to go from here so subplot of the series was one of the big reasons why i thought dallas would win you know, in my again, it was I, it was coin flip. The one of the reasons why I leaned slightly towards Dallas was I thought Dallas was a better player than Steph, based on what had happened during this regular season. Steph massive shooting decline in terms of his percentages, and you know Luca's dominant playoff run up to this point. Steph was way better than him through three games. I don't I don't give a damn about the forty point nights. W- watch the tape, just unbelievably horrific on defense like horrific he is the lead cause of their defensive issues right now now is Steph some all defense player no but he is a very good defensive player who competes like crazy who sets the tone for the rest of his team and there wasn't nearly enough of a chasm offensively between those two guys in order to justify any like I don't think there's any case for Luca being the best player in this series Steph dusted Mm -hmm. him Steph resoundingly demonstrated that he is very much better than Luca right now. And so what so where does Luca need to go from here? Like a couple things. We've been we've been down this road before. He has to find a way to at the very least not be a liability defensively. His foot speed will never be great. He'll never be a dominant defensive player. But what he makes what he lacks in foot speed, he does have in size and strength, right? So in theory, 
if he got into his peak physical condition, there's a version of Luca that can be a very good positional defender, meaning he can guard bigger wings that play with power. He can make the average defensive rotations. He can help as a backline defender at the rim. There's no reason why he can do those things. Is he going to be able to contain quick guards? No, that's never going to happen. But Steph's also never going to be able to guard big wings. Like that's the, the bottom line is is like there, there's a certain limitation that that those guys have. But Steph is the example of reaching his own personal ceiling defensively, and Luca's an example of a guy who hasn't even attempted to do that yet. On the offensive end, you know, do I think Luca could stand to polish some things up? Yeah. But I mean, those are, he's already arguably the best offensive engine in the NBA right now. So I, I, I think that the number one thing that Luca has to figure out is figuring out how to be a more of an impact player on the defensive end of the floor. He just simply has to. And then the, the, just the, the other benefits that come from physical conditioning and, and, the, and fighting off of fatigue in a playoff series. And, you know, he, he, I thought that quote was really interesting. It was, it wasn't excuses, but it kind of felt like back off, guys. I'm 22. Like did, 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 that's the vibe I got from that quote, and I, and I get that. But you know what I like to have heard is I I'm going to go into the season and get in the best shape of my life, and I plan on competing on the defensive end at a level I did. You know, I'd love to hear that mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, that's. Interesting. I also do think you could kind of go either way with it in the sense that, I mean, he is four years deep into his experience in the league, right? Like theoretically, he's not all that close to his peak. And in this time, you know, he's carried the team to three playoff appearances out of the years that he's been in the playoffs. He's been number two, number one and number one in points per game. And we know what he does as a playmaker, too. So I'm with you. He has no excuse for not getting into peak condition like that is so glaringly the thing in terms of basketball skill as a scorer or playmaker offensively what do you really point to right I mean he's added the post game that was kind of missing earlier the step back is so refined like his intermediate game overall is improved it's like he's done so much there's no excuse but he is also 23 and I'm sure that there is still stuff that he's learning but you're right when there's a glaring thing you can point to and say well Luca you can learn how to you know maybe put down the donuts a little bit you know, maybe hit the conditioning a little bit harder. <laughs> then that's also a light a fair beer, maybe. I would say. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe uh, as we <laughs> talked about, you don't need to go out for the pregame beers as much. I don't know. Yeah. There's, 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 you know, there's a beer that's brewed in a Rocky Mountain stream. It's a little bit lighter. I think he might be worth trying. <laughs> I, uh, I'm curious. I'm curious, Carson. Do you, uh, did you think that Steph was the best player in this series? Yes. I'm with you. But let me ask you this. I agree with you in the vacuum that is this series. Are you now like convinced that Steph is the better basketball player overall? If he wasn't, Luca would have played better. Like, I mean, mm. I, I'm with you. I'm with you on everything. He's 22. He's not even in his prime yet. Yeah, all that's true. But mm-hmm. that just means that Steph's better right now. You know what I mean? Like, do I want Steph or Luca yeah. for the next five years? Yeah, of course I want Luca. But mm-hmm. my point is, is like right now which is all that matters because the trophy is four, mm-hmm. five wins away for Golden State. Right. You know, like you, the, right now in this current predicament, Steph is clearly better. I, I actually think like, and again, we're going to talk the snow globe later. I, the snow globe, I just mean all the top players in the league being shook up. I think Steph has, mm-hmm. I think, I don't think Steph is even remotely capable of the impact that Giannis had in that Boston series. I've never seen anything like that. Like a team 
literally sending three guys at him every possession and he's averaged 34. <laughs> like that was insane. So I think yeah. Giannis is the best player in the league on a tier by himself. But I think Steph has a pretty clear case right now to be number two. And and that is wild considering where he was during the regular season. But tell me one mm-hmm. player, Carson, that you think has made a better case to be the second best player in the world right now. Nikola Jokic. <laughs> he would be my pick. He would be my honest pick. Because here's the thing. I completely agree the level Steph's been at in this series where his shot making has been blazing. I mean, he's been 48% from deep, right? It's been like vintage Steph in that respect. But I just don't know that the totality of his production this year is quite there. So I don't know that I would say I think he's a better basketball player than Luca right now. Because as we talked about, I mean, Luca's control of the game his direct imposition of his will as a scorer and playmaker his volume there it's just so overwhelming and there have been times with Steph this year where it's just he just simply doesn't dominate the game offensively and he'll always have the gravity impact and whatnot but there was a drop in production in that respect so I don't know if I want to totally flip my position on that based on the fact that in this head-to-head matchup yes at the highest stakes and yes, in actual playoff basketball where it matters most and it tells you the most about a guy, also only a few game sample. I don't know that I'm ready to flip on that. I think Steph does have a case for second best player. I think last year he made that abundantly clear. And I don't know that we had enough evidence this year to say like, oh, he can't be that player again. But he wasn't that player for a lot of this year. So I don't know if I'm as decisive as you are in that respect. And I honestly might still be Team Luca. The defense is brutal. There are stretches where he's more engaged, and it's like, okay, it's sort of passable when he's doing that. But I just think that the the effort hasn't been consistent enough, and there's probably an element of fatigue with the offensive load there. But I think Steph does certainly make a case. I, I'm, I'm with you there, but I don't think it's as clear in my opinion. So you, you mentioned the small sample size thing. I think that's a huge mm-hmm. part of this. Like... Steph understands the stakes. He understands that, hey, like if I have a if I have a fourteen point lead in the middle of the third quarter on the road in game two of a playoff series, I can't afford to mail it in on defense because I might blow it, and now I'm down two zero in the series. That's what happened to Luca. Luca, I, I shared all the tape. You guys could see it. It's on my Twitter feed. Yeah, it, like literally, Luca was a traffic cone in that second half. Uh, against the Warriors in game two. It, it blew their one opportunity to win one of these three games. It's just, so my thing is like, I, I so to be clear, when I value this stuff, I think you, I think you, Carson, and I'm not saying you're wrong. It's just different between the way you and I look at this. Mm-hmm. You you place more value value in that regular season engine. And there there's a good case for that. Seeding is important. Mm-hmm. This playoff run has been a great demonstration of the importance of seeding. Just ask Milwaukee, you know, but the 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 reality is is like the uh when it when it comes down to it it's usually a handful of games that determines these outcomes and having mm-hmm. that that i think that is one of Steph's legs up is experience understanding the stakes and being at his very best when he needs to be at his very best but i agree agree to mm-hmm. disagree carson i'm cool with that <laughs> yeah i think also i might have a bit more of an offensive slant in terms of evaluating guys and you know like you said prioritizing that singular offensive engine and letting some of the defensive 
possible routes for exploitation pass a little bit more, which, you know, maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. I'll sit down this offseason <laughs> and I'll really think about some stuff. Okay. <laughs> We've got a donation here. Shout out Jeremiah. He's got a question in the chat. Jason, is Andrew Wiggins going to Harrison Barnes the finals? He says, no disrespect intended, but Warrior fans feel a certain way about Barnes going cold in 2016. What do you think? So it's certainly possible. The You, you know, Boston is... <laughs> I'm leaning Golden State right now in a potential Golden State-Boston matchup. I'll save my pick until we actually get to the point where both of the conference final series are over. Uh, but I do think we're mo we're extremely likely to get that matchup, which is, I think, a super interesting matchup between two of the biggest franchises in the NBA. We shouldn't be... I mean, we're, we're ecstatic about that around here. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I'm very stoked for it. But I think defense, uh, Boston's defense is going to put Golden State in some interesting binds. Um, I would imagine... Because Luka, Luka was guarding Wiggins, and it was clearly a strategy with Golden State from the start of this series to have Andrew be super aggressive whenever he saw an opportunity to attack Luka. Boston just doesn't provide you with that type of matchup flexibility. So I think some of the aggression will be taken away, which means it'll turn Andrew into a guy that's almost strictly attacking closeouts and spotting up. And I mean, the Harrison Barnes thing, like, I get it. He he wasn't making his open shots, and that can be problematic. But I mean, they were all good looks, and and some sometimes they just don't go in. I mean, talk about small sample size. Like that's how it goes. Like in a small sample size, like sometimes you get five wide open corner threes, and maybe you only make one of them. You know, and that's just how it goes. But as long as Andrew Wiggins brings what he brings on the defensive end of the floor, as long as he picks up Tatum full court and bothers him as much as humanly possible. Then you know, honestly, I I think that his impact in in that role is pretty dependable. You know what I mean. And Golden mm -hmm. State, you know, the other interest the other interesting thing too, Carson, is this Golden State team is less reliant on three point shooting than the 2016 Warriors. This is a Golden State team that weaponizes the threat of their three point shooting to get into the paint. And I think. I think Andrew Wiggins, like he demonstrated with his vicious dunk on Luca last night, like you don't, mm -hmm. if you're not making your threes, just to further attack the closeout, you know, like mm -hmm. keep just, there's, there's nothing wrong with catching when you're wide open and just barreling into the lane and kicking out to the next shooter. So I think there's, a, I think they have a little bit, I think Golden State in general just has a little bit more of an understanding of how to use guys that go cold from the perimeter. But I mean, mm -hmm. Andrew Wiggins could also just be dead eye knocking down wide open shots. So is he going to be Harrison Barnes? Yeah. I don't know. My guess is he'll be more impactful. Yeah, I do think you make a very astute point about the specific matchup because it does feel like a lot of the swing element with Wiggins is okay. Well, is he just going to be knocking down open looks, attacking closeouts? Is he going to be more assertive and like taking some of the tough mid-range pull-up stuff that you don't love from him? Or is he going to be assertive and actually attacking mismatches and weaponizing his size and athleticism and all that? And those are kind of the different versions you get. Regardless, his floor, you know, because of his defensive impact, I think is just higher than what Barnes's was at that time and certainly higher than I think we expected from Andrew Wiggins before he got to Golden State. But there is always that swing element with him because his mindset changes as much as anything. It feels like 
But I will say, I mean, Harrison Barnes was as bad in that series as like any significant player has been in, in a series that I can remember in my life. It was, it was nine a game, 35% from the field, every big spot just clanging. So <laughs> if Wiggins does that, I don't think his NBA legacy will ever be redeemed. Like th- that, unfortunately, will stick with him forever, I think. Andrew, I think Andrew's also like a lot more athletic than Harrison Barnes was. Harrison Barnes was yes. a great vertical athlete that had great length, but Harrison Barnes did not have that twitchy, like quick right. first step, Quickness. dynamic explosiveness that that Andrew Wiggins has, which I think makes him more impactful attacking closeouts and things along those lines. But yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. That's a super interesting series, and I can't wait to take a deep dive into it once we get to that point. All right, well, before we do that, Let's do one last question here about the Mavs because we talked about what Luka can do individually, but when it comes to the broader scope of their team building, do you think Dallas needs another star, Jason? Absolutely. And it's going to be... The issue here with the Brunson thing is I think you have to re-sign him because of the asset. Like, Jalen is would be valuable to somebody else in a way. I mean, he, and he was great. I thought he was pretty damn good in this playoff run. But to me, it's a question of talent. And when you look at LeBron and Anthony Davis coming back with the Lakers next year, Kawhi and Paul George coming back with the Clippers next year, Nikola Jokic with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. coming back with the Nuggets next year. When you really piece all of this together, not to mention the Eastern Conference, like you have to think the Sixers are going to be a lot more organized next year uh, just with a full training camp to really implement their system. You have to think that the Milwaukee Bucks understand now that they don't have enough talent. They're going to make a move. The top of the league is just going to continue to get... I mean, Luka's going to get better as a basketball player. You know, like Giannis could get better as a basketball player. Like the teams you're going to have to go through to get to this point, the league is so stacked... I think at this point, wheeling Luca out there to be the solo star is 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 akin to basketball playoff suicide. Like you're just you're you you know you don't have the firepower, you know. And again, like I see I see the big debate taking place right now between Warriors fans and and all these people on Twitter about like does Luca have enough help? Does Luca have enough help? Look, Steph outplayed Luca to be clear, but also Luca was on the less talented team. The, the reason why I thought that they might win is I thought Dallas's system, which I think is very smartly put together, we just talked about that earlier, in conjunction with Luka being better than Steph, would be enough to swing it. And here's the thing. It turns out that all those guys that shot really well suddenly didn't shoot well, which we talked about. And Luka was proven to be not as good at basketball as Steph was, right? So at a certain point, firepower did become an issue in the series. So if you're Dallas, you have to understand that and recognize that. You know, probably the most realistic outcome there is you re-sign Jalen Brunson, you find some way to accumulate as many draft picks as possible, and you find a way to flip Brunson and picks, or Brunson Dinwiddie picks, or you know some combination of assets to a disgruntled star, and bring someone in, and then basically continue the same system because the system for Dallas is perfect. They just need one more big forward that can consistently create his own shot and space the floor. It's really that simple. All right, guys, that is all I have for you tonight. I sincerely appreciate your support. As always, a couple quick notes. Remember to like this video and subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our content. If you missed part of this video and you don't have time to check it out on YouTube, go to our podcast feed. At La- it's called Lakers Tonight. That's where you can find the full-length shows, usually about an hour after we finish recording. And last but not least, follow me on Twitter 
at underscore Jason LT. That's where you can see all the video content that I do. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys rocking with the show. We will be back Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week with live shows after the final buzzer of the game. I'll see you guys then. The Volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Hey, it's Kevin Hart. In this basketball season, Chase Freedom Unlimited is helping me cash back all my game tickets. Plus, tickets for 23 of my biggest fans to cheer me on while I enjoy the game. Find your seat. I appreciate the support, people. Eat that pretzel. This will never get old. Use more napkins. Okay, this is starting to get old. Say the tagline. Cash back like a pro with Chase Freedom Unlimited. Chase. Make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.